Kia ora. Welcome to this edition of the Morrisville Baptist Church Podcast. Thank you for connecting with us to discover more about our faith community. Feel free to visit our website at morrisvillebaptist.com. I hope this message is an encouragement to you. Well, good morning everybody, and uh, my name is Greg Smith, as you've heard, and uh, uh, I've been in this, been blessed, richly blessed in fact, to be part of this church for 45 years now. Um, and that's my claim to fame. Um, most of you will be aware that we've just finished a series uh, working through uh, the book of Amos. Uh, and Richard and Tom, of course, have done a great job, I think you'll all agree, of um, uh, teaching us about the work and the nature of Amos and the Old Testament prophets. I'm just going to get rid of a little bit of this because otherwise I will clonk it at an inopportune time. So anyway, for something the topic is prophets. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, fortunately, my brief is, uh, well, not, I don't know, my brief is open and the field is large, as you can imagine, but I have been given an out clause, and that is that it doesn't have to be exhaustive. So if you go away from uh, this message and you think, well, why didn't he talk about this or talk about that, then that's good because uh, you will know at least as much as me, if not more. Okay, could we have that first um, slide on there? Thank you. Now, many of you will recognize this. This, uh, Tom has allowed me to borrow this, and I thought I'll just leave it up there uh, while I'm speaking in this first part of the message because I'm going to be sort of going all over the place, not in... um, in necessarily in order, and you might be able to just see where the different um, prophets uh, fit. Um, I thought it was a, a very helpful slide, this one. Uh, so prophecy is seen throughout the whole Bible, but the section in our Bibles, which is prophetic, uh, is labelled as the prophetic books, is um, at the back, this part here, from uh, Isaiah through to uh, Malachi, and it spans about 200 years. Um, And over that time, it's a period in history when God's patience with his people and their waywardness had run out. And um, uh, there was a plan in place. He had a plan in place to cleanse them once and for all in a drastic act of driving them into exile, out of the promised land, and to leave it empty, barren, and abandoned. The land which had so much promise when they entered it 500 years before. I wonder if you realize how effective the exile was. You know, never again did the Jews worship idols. And I use the word Jews because from the return of the exile onwards, the people who were the Hebrews and who God formed into the nation of Israel became known as the Jews because they came out of Judah. True, they still got diverted uh, from the obedience to God and got discouraged in their role as God's special people. And uh, Nehemiah and Ezra helped to refocus them. And their religiosity 
uh, seen in the Pharisees and even in the ultra-Orthodox Jews today, caused them to lose sight of their relationship with God. But they never again worshipped idols, and to this day they are the only nation on earth for whom Creator God is their national identity and culture. Heard be a prophet, eh? Speaking on behalf of God. That's scary stuff. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, the writer to the Hebrews says, and I've, I've used that verse a little bit out of context, but um, uh, to be completely at God's disposal can, be, can put us into some frightening situations. The prophets had to portray, portray both sides of God, his kindness and his severity. Um, Paul uses those two terms, juxtapose, juxta, yeah, you know, <laughs> He puts them in a juxtaposition um, in Romans 11, the kindness and the severity of God. And the, and the prophets had to, to do this to the people, and it was seldom popular. Um, and I've chosen a text for this morning, a couple of verses from First uh, Peter 1, 2021. I think those might be on the screen as well. Sorry, Second Peter. Did I say Second Peter 1 or First Peter 2? Um, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. One thing is for sure, if you wanted to be a prophet, you would want to make sure your call was from God. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet, not only for his personal sorrow at what he foresaw that was about to happen to his beloved country and people, but because of all the hardship God put, made him endure as he went about God's ordained task as well. How would you go if God gave you an assignment and told you before you began it was going to fail? Chapter 1, God tells Jeremiah that everyone in this land, the kings of Judah, the officials, the priests, and the people will be against you. Right. Not only that, sometimes God will ask you to do some weird things to demonstrate your message as well as to speak it. Jeremiah had to wear a yoke around his neck to symbolize the subservience of the nations to Nebuchadnezzar. And he wore it for some months until a false prophet broke it off and falsely claimed that Nebuchadnezzar would only last for two years. That's uh, in Jeremiah 27 and 28. Um, yeah, you'd want to be sure that it was God that had called you. And God often called nobodies as well. You remember what we've learned about Amos, uh, how he was a shepherd, a nobody, from the town of Tekoa, a place far from uh, influence and power. And then there was Isaiah. He was entrusted with some of the greatest messages in the Old Testament, especially those related to the Messiah, to Christ. But he saw himself as too unclean to receive from God until a seraph took a burning coal and touched his lips and declared him clean. Presumably in a, in a vision and not um, literally burned his lips. What about Ezekiel? Anyone who knows, uh, sorry, anyone know what Ezekiel's name means? There should be, so pardon? Thank you, Patsy. 
Uh, hopefully a few, a few more of you know what, the, what it means as well, because our Ezekiel trust is, is so named, God strengthens. That was the name that was chosen, uh, Ezekiel. Today, if Ezekiel started speaking in our midst, we'd be seriously worried. Um, we'd, think, we'd probably think he was on something fairly hard, probably worse than meth, uh, like he was hallucinating or something. But no, he saw things in pictures, somewhat bizarre pictures to us at least. And he had a calling with some similarities to Jeremiah. Um, and in Ezekiel 2, we read this. I don't know if that's come up, thank you. He said to me, Son of man, stand up on your feet and I will speak to you. As he spoke, the Spirit came to me and raised me to my feet and I heard him speak to me. He said, Son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have been in revolt against me to this very day. The people to whom I am sending you are obstinate and stubborn. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are a rebellious people, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them or their words. Do not be afraid, though briars and thorns are all around you and you live among scorpions. Do not be afraid of what they say or be ter terrified by them, though they are a rebellious people. You must speak my words to them, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious. But you, son of man, listen to what I say to you. Do not rebel like that rebellious people. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Did I mention it was a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God? Ezekiel must speak the words given to him, the mark of a prophet. However, amongst uh, some of uh, Ezekiel's visions and pictures, we, um, we find them later re reoccurring, or aspects of them, in, um, uh, later in the Bible, in Revelation, and uh, in, in, in um, pictures of the, uh, of the end of time. Uh, and we'll see shortly that Old Testament prophecy can have layers of meaning um, that stretch forth centuries and even millennia. So what is a prophet? The word prophet means spokesman or spokesperson because there were women prophetesses, Deborah and Judges right through to Anna at the time of Christ's birth. A prophet is one who delivers prophecy. That's pretty easy, isn't it? A message from God. There were plenty of false prophets too. In fact, um, for much of Israel's history, she was riddled with them. But their distinguishing mark was speaking what they knew people wanted to hear, not what God wanted to hear, uh, God wanted to say, I should say. If we take the definition of prophets being spokespeople for God, we see a much wider spectrum of people who prophesied than those that we have in those last books of our Old Testament. We could start with Abraham. Did he know that he was prophesying when he offered Isaac on the altar? Isaac had been carrying the wood and coals for miles, and he asked his father, where is the lamb for the sacrifice? And Abraham replied, God himself will provide one, in Genesis 22. This incident took place on Mount Moriah. It was here that Solomon built the first temple. It was here, or very close to it, that God sacrificed his only son, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
the Lamb of God. Unlike with Abraham, who offered his only and beloved son on this spot as a sacrifice, and God prevented it and showed him a ram caught in a bush, here God did offer his only beloved son as the sacrifice for sin once and for all. Now today, Mount Moriah is known as the Temple Mount, one of the most contested places on earth. I wonder why. How much of this did Abraham understand, if any? One of the distinctive things about biblical prophecy, and particularly Old Testament prophecy, is that it can have multiple layers, as I said a moment ago. It can speak to the here and now of of the people at the time. It can speak to a future time, often fulfilled in Christ. And one and the same prophecy can also speak to the future from where we sit now in history and relate to the return of Christ. I'll give you an example in Psalm 89. It's It's a prophecy about Christ sandwiched amongst the words of the time. The psalm is clearly talking about the earthly David, but then in verse 26 it says, He, that's God, will say to me, You are my Father and my God. Now only Jesus the Son of God, can say that. Uh, And in verse 27, and it goes on, verses 27 and 28, I will make him my firstborn son, the greatest of all kings. His dynasty will be as permanent as the sky. And your Bible will have a cross-reference to those verses in uh, Revelation 1, verse 5, uh, which is the future aspect of these verses, where Christ is referred to as the ruler of the kings of the world. And then the psalmist switches back to the here and now of of when he was writing uh, and speaks about Israel's failure to live up to their side of the covenant. Now this psalm was written by a guy called Ethan. He's not known as a prophet, but he delivered prophecy. And the Old Testament is, is peppered with such examples. People who got a message from God and spoke it to God's people without necessarily understanding all its implications. Uh, I can't go through prophecy without mentioning Daniel. I'm not going to go into Daniel. Uh, I'd probably get bogged down. Um, but um, his prophecies of end, end of times are, uh, of course, well known. Um, and he was also speaking to the people of his day. A handy one-liner to keep in mind is that the New Testament, and that is to say Christ, is in the Old Testament concealed, And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. So the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed. And in the New Testament, it's the Old Testament revealed. And then there are the prophecies of Isaiah. Chapters 7, 9, and 53 are some of the most well-known amongst Christians. In chapter 7, the verse contains the verse, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And all around that verse, Isaiah is warning about impending judgment, speaking of the here and now to when he was writing, and then he suddenly comes out with one of the most well-read passages at Christmas, right in the midst of a stern section of judgment, being prophesied as one of the most hope-filled verses of the entire Bible. Emmanuel, God with us. 
God himself is going to come to our wretchedness. Chapter 9 includes the section for us, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Again, a great Christmas theme. And of course, chapter 53 is all about the suffering servant. Prediction after prediction fulfilled in history in the death of Christ. Now Micah, one of the minor prophets, declares 700 years before Christ, uh, actually at about the same time as Isaiah, hopefully that might be, there, you'll see that up there, uh, that Bethlehem would be the birthplace of the Messiah, but also of his future reigning as king. Perhaps the thousand-year millennial reign, perhaps the new heaven and the new earth, quite possibly both. I'd love to read you some of these scriptures, but um, this message was just, when I'd finished it, I just had to take so much red ink to it. I hope it's, hope it's flowing well enough for you to follow along. Um, there just wasn't time to include it all. A mark of a true prophet is that they say what they say comes true. The tricky thing about that is it's usually in hindsight, looking back, that that proof comes. The true prophet takes no credit for his words because they recognize that their revelation is from God. As we have seen, prophecy can be both forthtelling or prescriptive, um, that is describing events at the near time uh, or, or an imminent outworking of those, or it can be foretelling, predictive, and some are both within the same prophecy. So there is prescriptive and predictive, there's foretelling and foretelling. It can call us to repentance, it can comfort and encourage us, it can warn us, and it always points us to Jesus. True prophecy, a word spoken from God, will never contradict what is written by God in the Bible. Jesus himself declares this to a couple of his followers on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. So we see there that um, uh, the prediction about uh, Jesus um, is right through the Old Testament. The law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms. Now, mathematicians have calculated that there is a 1 in 10 to the power of 157 chance of a person fulfilling 48 of the prophecies relating to the Messiah in the Old Testament. Now, does anybody know how big 10 to the power of 157 is? I thought not. Uh, a billion has nine zeros. Okay? Um, I know, the, I know the politicians bandy around billions of dollars like, you know, it was millions a few years ago. Um, but it's a, big, it's a big number, nine zeros. A billion seconds, I was amazed to read this, a billion seconds is 32 years. Wow. But we're talking about 157 zeros, not nine. Basically, statistically, there is no chance of one person fulfilling 48 of the prophecies relating to the Messiah. But Jesus fulfilled 300 of them, not 48. 
I think, I'm not sure where the 48 came from. I think 48 is the major ones, the major um, prophecies about the Messiah. <coughs> and what's more, I believe that um, there are more prophecies relating to the Messiah's second coming than to his first. That time is coming. It is assured by prophecy. Prophecy already fulfilled in Christ's first coming. Uh, and I just want to say, too, that our interest in the prophets of the Old Testament should not just be for historical accuracies, whether for times past or times to come. There's some deep teaching and wonderful promises that apply to us here and now. I'm going to reel off a few of those and see if you don't agree. Call unto me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you have not known. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. The Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look. Ask, where are the ancient paths? Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. People universally need rest for their souls. There's a pathway that will give it to you. No one asks, what have I done wrong? Each of you keeps on going his own way like a horse rushing into battle. Is that a commentary for our age? All these gems come out of the weeping prophet, Jeremiah. They're in there amongst his doom and gloom primary message. Um, and, and I couldn't really go past this, a bit random, it's just sort of chucked in here, but I couldn't go past this. Uh, I, I mean, you know, for me, I, I started... Um, off of my Christian life, and uh, Israel didn't really mean anything to me. It was just a country over there, and that's fine. Um, and, and as I began to investigate, you know, what, what does God's Word say about it, and, and uh, how can I be sure that, that it really is, uh, has a key place um, in God's uh, order of things, God's um, out, outworking of uh, the future? Uh, and, and this is just a wonderful uh, verse for me, uh, related to that, again, in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31, 36, he, that's God, promises, so long as the natural order exists, so long will Israel be a nation. Natural order, still going, just maybe, but <laughs> it's still going. But, you know, I could go on and on. God's word and the prophets, as much as anywhere, are filled with promises. These promises are precious, the apostle Peter tells us, provided we apply them. Okay, you can flick that slide off now, thanks, uh, Sophie. Because um, I'm going to move on now to uh, New Testament prophecy. Don't quote me, but I think the only prophet named after the resurrection is Agabus. And you can read about him in Acts 11 and 21, I was going to, but it, the red ink got to that. Um, but in uh, Ephesians 2.20... Uh, we are told that the church was built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone. Now, the 12 apostles we know, but who were the prophets? And I've always considered this to be the prophets of the Old Testament, as, as, a, as I've already pointed out, that they had many predictions about Christ, uh, although admittedly not so many about the church. Um, however, scholars um, consider that it was most likely that these were early Christians who went around with the apostles and taught the new believers the foundational truths of this new faith. They seem to be unnamed, 
Paul lists many of his fellow workers and helpers in the likes of uh, Romans 16, but describes them as helpers and fellow workers, and in one case, a fellow apostle. But I don't know, it, uh, it doesn't seem hard to imagine to me that a bunch of early believers who had been close to Jesus and the apostles and who accompanied the apostles as, as they taught new churches, um, Jesus himself sent out 70 apostles in Luke 10, uh, 70 disciples, sorry, in uh, Luke 10 to teach and to preach and to heal. Is there not every possibility that some of these went on to strategic roles in the earliest days of the church? The thought is that the foundation of the church was laid on such as these and the church going forward is built on this foundation. Perhaps the key difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament prophet is the Holy Spirit. God gave his spirit to specific people for a specific task in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, everyone who belongs to God does so because they have the spirit living in them. And he's also the spirit of truth. Jesus said so in, Luke, uh, sorry, in John 16. And he will guide you into all truth. This comes many ways, but we are now able to hear and discern the voice of God as individual believers, and importantly at times collectively as the body of Christ. God's primary method of correction for our waywardness now is not to send a prophet to rebuke the church or us as individuals, it is to give us the responsibility and the privilege of keeping ourselves right before him. So the Spirit speaks to us individually as we abide in Christ, the vine, and that's from John 15, where Jesus speaks about himself as the vine. He speaks through the word of God. He speaks through the voice of our conscience. He speaks into our spirit in prayer and through the correction and direction of others, whether in a sermon or a, a small group or wherever it might be. So is the ministry of the prophet no longer needed? In Ephesians 4, Paul speaks of five broad uh, gifts of ministry that God has given to the church to build it up and to make us mature. We understand the teacher and the pastor easily enough and also the evangelist. But just as the apostle today is a little different to the 12 apostles who founded the church in the first century, so too the prophet today is a little different from times past. Uh, there are people who we would consider prophets. Um, perhaps an example that um, we might be uh, might be relevant to us would be the likes of David and Greta Peters uh, who have ministered amongst us um, for a few years, over a few years. Uh, they move around to many churches bringing a broadly similar message of what they believe God wants to emphasize to the body of Christ and I think I would be right in saying that their message is calling us to be a people of hope and it's not hard to see the relevance of that but they're not the only ones saying that um, but there is a sharpness and a relevance that strikes us in the core of our spirit about what they say on that matter. So today, prophecy remains a speaking forth of a message from God. It remains that the message must be attested by what actually happens. Um, there were um, a whole proliferation of prophets that came around the time of the last US election, and I have to say that I think a lot of them were false. Um, However, while there are people whose spiritual gift is to be a prophet, there are numbers of people sitting here this morning who have given a word of prophecy on occasions, but would not consider themselves to be prophets. 
God can give a message to anyone that speaks directly to the here and there and witnesses strongly in our spirit. Today, the testing of prophecy is emphasized even more perhaps than in the Old Testament because the field of people who may bring a word of prophecy is much wider and their depth of Christian maturity is correspondingly much wider. So Paul tells us to test everything. If the word is spoken in a church gathering, all present should test it, although it will usually fall to the church leaders to attest its validity publicly or raise a question over it with the person concerned. But we need to have a bit of grace and discernment here because prophecy is one of the spiritual gifts listed in 1 Corinthians 12. And the spiritual gifts need to be exercised and practiced to become well honed. So being human, we are inevitably going to get it uh, not quite right at times. Um, sometimes a person may have a word from God, but they've mistakenly thought it was for a word for the church um, as a whole, whereas it was actually something for them personally. My own view is that uh, sometimes the gifts tend to merge a little bit like the covers of, uh, colors of the rainbow. Um, you know, when is a word from God a prophetic word? And when, it is, when is it a word of knowledge, given, uh, giving insight into a situation or a word of encouragement? Does it matter? We praise God and thank Him that He speaks to us. A word of prophecy may be judged, broadly speaking, in, according to three categories. Either from God, and the majority of people present will sense, yeah, that's bang on. Um, or from the flesh, uh, I think it's, you know, I might think it's something that God um, has spoken, um, but it's really from my own thinking. And such a word may not necessarily be harmful. In fact, it could serve as, a, as an encouragement for some but it'll probably lack that um, potency of an accurate word. And then thirdly, there is a deceptive word originating from the enemy, more than from God, and this is territory for the church leaders to step in with a word of correction. New Testament prophecy will most often have a strong leaning towards encouragement and exhortation. If you receive a prophetic word which is for you personally, and it has a directive flavor to it, um, that is, it's more than just a general word of encouragement. It's saying something uh, to you personally um, uh, or about you personally, uh, exhorting you to a certain direction in your life. Then, uh, apart from the normal testing, there are a couple of uh, additional things I would say. Firstly, hold it openly. Hold it lightly with an open hand. Don't necessarily dismiss it out of hand if you don't immediately see its relevance or accuracy, but don't change your life on the basis of the word alone either. Secondly, don't try to do God's work by making the word come true yourself. Let God work it out. This is a great confirmation for you if it does indeed come to pass. Um, many years ago at my baptism, the pastor's wife said to me that she saw a picture of a rabbit with its ears pointing up, alert, you know, uh, and that I would be like that. And I parked that word, and it was not till some years later when I'd been an elder for a time that it truly witnessed with me. It was a true word, but God took some time to work it out in my life. Now, this message would not be complete without a mention of 1 Corinthians 14. And I haven't majored on this passage because although it has some great advice for us along the lines of what I've been saying, 
Uh, for example, um, verse 29, where it says, two or three prophets should speak and the rest should weigh carefully what is said. It is mostly a chapter addressing a problem in the church at Corinth and giving practical advice for maintaining order in the church, which was in danger of descending into chaos, or some, yeah, some chaos. Um, 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, I think, should be taken as a passage. Chapter 12, Paul talks about um, the various spiritual gifts that God blesses the church with, and then how they should be used in the body of Christ. None should be considered more valuable than the other. Indeed, the more modest ones uh, should be held in high esteem. You see, the Corinthians had got a fixation on speaking in tongues, spiritual language. And then in chapter 14, Paul says he'd be happy if everyone spoke in tongues, but better for a word of prophecy in a church meeting because everyone can understand what is being said. And one of the big themes of the chapter is that what happens in church has to be toward the purpose of building up believers in their faith. Edifying is the word that's used. So even though he wants a greater emphasis on words spoken for strengthening, encouragement and comfort, which is how he describes prophecy, he is advocating for order in the worship of God. So he says that uh, even with prophecy, the spirit of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. So Paul tries to get the church to see that the way they were operating their worship meetings was not consistent with what God wants to see in his church. In the language of our theme for this series of messages, God's reputation was being damaged. Or potential. There was potential for that. And Paul's trying to cut it off at the pass. And then, of course, sandwiched between chapters 12 and 14 is chapter 13, the love chapter. A more excellent way than tongues or prophecy or any gift. They will pass away, but love is eternal. Okay, I thought um, I would like to uh, invite Susie, if she would come up. Uh, I, I thought um, I'd like to speak to a few, one or two, I, was, I was actually speaking, thinking of two or three people in the church that operate um, uh, with um, prophetic words. Um, and Susie walked past me when I was in the church here, and so I asked her, she was one I was thinking of, but there are several others of you here, but I'm afraid time sort of pre uh, precluded me from... Uh, using um, any others of you, but Susie's um, kindly um, offered to, uh, accepted my invitation, <laughs> um, and, and she wanted to, me to make clear to you that she does not consider herself a prophet, but I just um, want to unpack some of the, um, the practicalities of how, um, how she feels about, you know, when God, oh, actually I was going to get you a mic, Susie, which one will I use here? Blue? <laughs> um, so, yeah, Susie, we, um, when you feel a stirring within you, uh, how does that come and what, what, um, what's the process for you when you want to speak, when you feel God's got a word that, you want him, that he wants you to speak? Well, it's never prearranged. I don't sit at home and think, okay, this morning I'm going to bring a word because that's not how God operates. It's always for me, personally, always during praise and worship. I'm just so focused on God, just wanting to give to him that that's when things start. And there's always a stirring in my spirit, a swirling, I suppose, 
not a rough one, but just a gentle one, not like a washing machine agitator, just a gentle swirling. And uh, I just kind of know. So then I get two, three, maybe four words that start coming, and they keep coming. <laughs> and sometime, one time I, I didn't want to open my mouth. That's unusual for me. Anyway, um, people who know me know I chatter a lot. Um, but um, this one particular time I said, Lord, I don't want to. And the Lord spoke, and the Holy Spirit said, are you going to, to, to deny my people a blessing? And of course I didn't, I just opened my mouth. But, yeah, it's, it's only just three or four words at one time. Mm -hmm. And it's always during praise and worship because that's when I'm 100% centred on him. So you don't necessarily have a whole message, you have a few words and then, and then it comes. God flows from yep. God's, yeah, Frankie yeah. uses that, yeah, okay. Mm. Uh, and how do you see, um, how does, you know, do you see pictures or um, do you get impressions or I guess you'd describe that as that, as that the swirling in your spirit is how you would identify this as God um, speaking? Yeah, I, yeah, I don't particularly get pictures in church but I do get pictures at home when I'm uh, focusing on the Lord and, yeah, the Lord's given me specific pictures for specific people that yeah. I've shared with. Right, yeah. yeah. And how do you know it's uh, God and not your own thoughts? Because I'm just so focused on him and um, I'm not thinking about, oh, what can I say? Because I don't, I don't actually like it. I don't. I don't love to, I love to build up the church. I love to encourage people and to edify and that's what we're meant to do. But I certainly don't like speaking out in church because I suppose fear of man, fear of being classed as a big head <laughs> or a big mouth. <laughs> so, uh, and, and the, those words that come aren't my words. That's not the way I speak. If anybody knows me, my husband, lots of ladies here know the way I speak. Right. So mm. it's totally different. Okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Um, has has this, the, this gift or this ability changed for you over time? Uh, yes, it has. Um, it it didn't actually in saying it didn't actually start for me till about. 13 or 14 years ago, even though I've been a Christian for nearly 45 years, Friday's my spiritual birthday. Um, it wasn't until I started putting God first. God became my number one. Up till then, I loved the Lord, but I didn't believe he loved me because I was too damaged. So when I got that revelation, love of God, I um, that's when... These words started coming at, at Liberty Life in Fokatani, the church I attended down there. Um, quite often, yeah, I'd get a word for down there. And, yeah, the words I've brought here. Um, lately, the, probably since we've been back from um, Kerry Kerry, um, it's been more on a personal, the Lord will give me a message for... So, Sue, sorry, picking on you, darling. <laughs> Um, or one of my kids, or 
somebody else in, in the fellowship who I know. Um, and always they'll get back and say, that was spot on. It's just what I needed. So I would call that a word of encouragement. Sure. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yep. Mm. Anything else you want to mention about it? Well, just that God uses any of us. I mean, if we're willing, but I think his one requirement is to put him first, to make him our first call in the morning and maybe our last call at night before we close our eyes. Um, he wants our hearts, and I think a heart surrendered to him totally, he will then use us. Um, but I'm not special. Well, we're all special, but I'm no more special than any of you. I am just me. And um, that, that love that God has for all of us, it's the same for each one of us. So he can use any of us if we're willing. Don't fear man, but just, to, just make sure in your spirit that it's from the Lord and not yourself. Yeah. yeah. Great, that's really good. Thank you, Susie, for sharing with us. Appreciate that. I remember um, one Sunday morning when I was preaching and uh, Susie had brought a word before I got up and I, I got up here and I said, well, uh, that was my message summarised in a few sentences. Um, and so I've, I've never forgotten that. And uh, um, I, I, uh, yeah, I would attest to what Susie's been saying. Right, well, I'm uh, going to close this now. Um, but the Bible finishes with these words in Revelation 22 verses 18 and 19. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes away from the scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this scroll. So there we have right at the end of the Bible, prophecy is mentioned prominently and we are warned to take it seriously. What God has spoken to man, prophecy. Much of it has happened in history, and what has not yet happened will one day also be history. Prophecy fulfilled gives us confidence in the Bible and that God, in the God who sent the messages, and we can therefore have confidence that prophecy unfulfilled one day will be. Amen.